One year ago, on the week that this episode is airing, the week of Christmas 2020, so one year ago, I found out that I had miscarried my first child. Right now, we're going through a podcast series that is all about how being able to read your own blood work from your doctor is a must for every woman. The last few weeks, we've covered topics on thyroid, SIBO, cholesterol, and acid reflux. We've heard a testimonial from a client of mine who used her own blood work to find the root cause of her endometriosis, brain fog, eczema, fatigue, and sleep problems. And I shared about the six reasons your doctor is reading your blood labs wrong. This is all leading up to the upcoming launch of my online course, Blood Lab Bootcamp, which is going live for registration very soon at the turn of the new year, which is January 5th through the 12th. But today, I am sharing another testimonial on how blood work changed a life. And this time, it's my own life. I've already shared with y'all a little bit about my journey with pregnancy and miscarriage, Last year, I got pregnant for the first time, and like I said, on the week of Christmas 2020, I found out that my pregnancy was not viable. Today's episode is on everything that has changed from my first pregnancy to my second in my health, how the two pregnancies, pregnancy experiences compare, and how I use two simple blood markers in my blood labs from my doctor to guide my care for myself in the months after my miscarriage and to prep my body for my next intentional pregnancy so that I could keep and hold that pregnancy to full term. If you haven't listened already, I have two podcast episodes with more details about my first pregnancy and subsequent miscarriage that outline some details that I won't be covering in today's episode. The podcast episodes are episode 56, what I've been doing in my health since my miscarriage, and episode 27, how to use the hospital and holistic health care together, a case study on my recent miscarriage. And you can look for the, a link for those podcast episodes in the show notes to listen to them. But you don't need to listen to those episodes to understand this one. So if you are ready to start on the happy side of this story, keep on listening. We are about to dive in. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health.
All right. Well, I realized that in my intro just now, I did not share that uh, I am pregnant. I'm pregnant a second time. I know my title says, surprise, I'm pregnant. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm pregnant, y'all. I have to admit, though, I think recording this podcast episode right now is... I have mixed emotions because I'm realizing like, holy, holy cats. Um, I was, I mean, it was so not fun to receive my, getting my first ultrasound and then being told that I didn't even have a pregnancy to continue with. Uh, The week of my, my, the week of Christmas and then, you know, it should have been this like really joyous, like my husband and I were planning on getting my ultrasound foot pictures and then taking it to family when we saw them at Christmas um, or like, you know, texting it to them because we weren't seeing some due to COVID. And it was just so anticlimactic to begin that Christmas week and get this ultrasound that was like, you don't even have a pregnancy that's viable. And then also some problems with the pregnancy my also had on the table needing to get surgery or needing to take these like cancer level drugs to kill certain cells in my body, potentially, maybe. So it was just really crazy and hectic. And I am super happy that I'm pregnant. Um, I'm I'm feeling mixed though right now as I record this. And I think that's okay. I think y'all are fine if I'm not like super high um, on this podcast episode. It's actually taking me about two weeks to prep this podcast episode. Um, All the other ones have been done for the month and this is the last one I'm doing. And so I am really excited to share a lot of the details about my pregnancy because if y'all haven't figured out already from listening or if you're new to listening and you don't know me very well, I am a very detail-oriented person, especially when it comes to health. So I've been capable keeping pretty pretty copious and exact notes on my pregnancy this the second time around. Um, I'm a very curious person, so it's very interesting to me to go through something I've never gone through before. I mean, I'd gone through pregnancy once before, but it was only only eight weeks and even in the, and the whole thing was just weird. And I think every pregnancy can be so, so different. And that's what I hear from plenty of women who've had, multiple kids and even multiple full-term pregnancy. Every pregnancy is different. But that being said, being that my first pregnancy wasn't viable, um, I was wondering, you know, how would my second pregnancy differ? Would it feel the same? Would it feel different? Would I notice it in my body? And that's something that's really important to me in our, in Better Belly Therapies, uh, my business and my company that I've created to to help women walk through gut health problems and heal their hormones and and really solve the mystery of their health so that they're not you're not just wandering around and like well I guess the doctor said that this doesn't feel right or, or not not that this doesn't feel right I don't feel right but the doctor says that that everything looks normal and and it's just so miserable it's it's just so lonely and so miserable and I think it's so important to have have confidence of being able to say, no, no, what I sense in my body is real. And, and some days I might be able to cope with it better, but it doesn't mean I'm just making it up, etc. And so I knew that everything I felt in my body was really, really relevant. And I, I just didn't know how to compare it to what maybe a, a real or a healthy pregnancy in my body would feel like. So on today's episode, I want to share first off the differences 
that I have felt in my first pregnancy to my second pregnancy, like all the pregnancy symptoms, they were totally different. And when I went on this journey of healing my body after my miscarriage, and I really took an aggressive approach, you know, doctors are like, well, we're not even going to do anything until you miscarry twice. I'm like, well, that's like really miserable. Like it takes a long time potentially to like re-get pregnant and then and then miscarry again. And now you have like two grievances and like you feel like your body's broken and like, okay, great. What? Why are we waiting a second time? So I definitely didn't wait a second time. And the very first thing I did, which I've talked about in uh, the podcast episodes I mentioned in the in the intro, uh, specifically, I believe it's 56, where uh, I talk about what I've done in my health um, since my miscarriage. And I talk about using blood work. I even talked about in that podcast episode, which again, that episode in and and what happened after my miscarriage is part of what really made me want to create Blood Lab Bootcamp, my course that's coming out uh, that I'm relaunching January 5th. So we have more students, more women who can join and you can learn how to read your own blood work so that, you know, what happened to me doesn't happen to you as far as, <laughs> well, actually it's already happened. Fun fact, when I did my blood work, I asked my 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 primary care doctor to run blood work after my miscarriage, and she did. And I had one marker in particular that was just absurdly high. And she goes, she just emails me and goes, this is kind of high, and just says nothing else. Like, no recommendations on what to do, no questions, nothing. And so I, I had this really long journey and have had this really long journey of both identifying and kind of being a detective, being a Sherlock Holmes in my own body and saying, okay... We know something happened. It wasn't good, but but how and why did it happen? Especially if if the police, <laughs> we're using the Sherlock Holmes thing, the police and like all the normal people who are supposed to fix stuff aren't fixing stuff, right? Yeah, that's pretty much the point of being able to read your blood work. And so I've seen huge differences in my pregnancies. I am hesitant to say, and I don't think it's. I'm not going to be saying if you do these things, your pregnancies are going to be totally different. I do. Th- see that there's a correlation and there's biological reasons why all these things, all my symptoms, um, hint, they were significantly reduced. Um, all these classic pregnancy symptoms that many women can get, I did not have this second pregnancy, um, compared to my first. And I really think it's because of some of the changes I had in my health. I don't think I could have promised that or guaranteed it to myself by any means, but I knew that everything I was doing was going to make everything better. And right now I am as of this recording, I'm at 15 weeks of pregnancy and I'm due next June. Yay. Um, so I want to, I'm going to start off first with things that, um, my, how the symptoms have differed, all the pregnancy symptoms. And then I'm going to do a little recap on what I found in my blood work, what additional functional lab tests I did, what I found in those tests, and then what I changed in my health and how that's led me to where I'm at. Are you guys ready? Okay. So I just wrote all these out. We'll see if I remember anything else as I talk through these things. But the number one, first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about differences in my first to my second pregnancy with symptoms was my skin. So with my skin, in my first pregnancy, I had like my acne on my face just exploded. I was like, what is going on? And I also had really oily hair. And I remember thinking, you're going to hear me say this probably for a couple more symptoms. I remember thinking, well, I guess I've heard people say that when you get pregnant, things just get weird. And like when you give birth, like your hormones fluctuate so hugely, like you'll get another outbreak potentially on your skin and, and you'll lose hair because the hormones are changing so much. I mean, just 
crazy wacky things. Um, So in my first pregnancy, I was remember having severe, like just way worse acne and oily hair and thinking, well, I guess this happens in pregnancy. But let me tell you, my second pregnancy, I have had completely clear skin. I actually feel like I have better skin, like especially face. That's going to be where everything shows up for me. I have better uh, clear skin on my face uh, than I did, you know, the, it was about, oh gosh, six or seven months between my miscarriage and getting pregnant again, about seven months. Um, And so like (laughs) not being pregnant, I had really, I had, didn't have that much acne to begin with, um, especially as I was healing my body, it was really reducing, but then it got even clearer when I got pregnant and I was like, well, that's definitely different from the first pregnancy. And then my hair has, has probably not changed much in oiliness or, or anything. It's, it's pretty much the same. Um, body odor, body odor is another symptom that had really differed. And this is fascinating to me. So in my first pregnancy, Uh, My body odor got way, way worse when I got pregnant. Uh, I typically, I for years have used deodorant that is aluminum free and kind of found ones that really work well for me, being an athlete, a runner, a triathlete, all these stuff, sweating, being active. Um, And so I, you know, had these deodorants that normally work, but in my first pregnancy, they did not work. And I ended up actually having to rely on some aluminum-based deodorant a couple times a week just to like kind of knock things out. And that was really unfun to me because I was thinking, well, here I am being pregnant and wanting to avoid things like microplastics and heavy metals, et cetera, more than ever. And I'm like actually having to use it because it's just like I'm so miserably smelly. And like even in my work with my clients, my hands-on work where we work in office and do craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, I'm like, I can't smell horrible. Like I'll make myself miserable, let alone potentially the client. So in the second pregnancy, and let me tell you, like I was fully prepared that in my second pregnancy, it would be like the first. I was like, okay, I'm going to have BO and I'm going to have really bad acne and and I have had like literally no change in my BO, like, and, and that being that I have very literal naturally, and that is not my norm. That is not my norm. Talk to my family growing up, smelly feet, <laughs> smelly BO, everything smelly. Um, I was constipated as a child, by the way, fun fact, strong correlation with that and things like bad breath, bad BO. Um, but since healing my gut, getting rid of pathogens, Everything that this podcast is about, my BO has just really mellowed out and is almost non-existent. And so awesome that that did not change in pregnancy because I was really miserable. And I haven't had to, of course, use anything aluminum-based for my deodorant. So I've continued using my my natural uh, aluminum-free, baking soda-free deodorant, which is great. Um, Sense of smell. You know, that can be a big problem for pregnant women of like everything smells intense. That was the case for me in my first pregnancy where it, I remember like my the one of the worst things. So I mean, there's probably two worst things. One, I could barely cook like the smell of vegetables, raw vegetables when I cut them was I'm not talking about onion. I'm talking about broccoli or cucumber. It was too much. I was like, this is going to make me vomit. <laughs> I can't cut, I could not cook my first pregnancy because the scent of food, let alone once it was cooking or sauteing, I mean, that just made it 20 billion times worse. 
Um, that was too strong. The other thing that really frustrated me and actually frustrated me a lot, my first pregnancy was that my husband's scent was too strong. And I'm a, I'm a cuddler. I like to touch and cuddle and hug. And so I like being close to my husband. And it was so depressing that if I got close to him, it didn't matter if he just showered, if he used any type of scent. He doesn't use like a, a cologne, but like a kind of natural scent. If he didn't use it, if it was just like just him, kind of clean, you know, like nothing else going on, it was too much. Just like the smell of his skin, like the muskiness of his skin. I was like, I can't be close to you, honey. You smell too strongly. That was, too, it was too much. And it was honestly depressing to think about. Um in my second pregnancy, sense of, sense of smell and just kind of sense being sensitized to smell, that's not even, it's like not even happened. Um, there was pretty much no change in my sense of smell at all. So not, not better, not worse. Um, and that was really special to me as well. So it was very different as soon as I knew that I was pregnant, which was pretty early on, just from watching my basal body temperature and knowing my cycle pretty well. Um, I immediately knew things were different in this pregnancy and that was really special to me of like, okay, that's three things, you know, my, my acne, body odor and sense of smell that are all telling me in my mind, positive things, because first off we, if you've listened to the gut sinus connection podcast episode, we have the gut skin connection podcast episode. We have, I don't know that have the numbers written down here off the top of my head, but uh, those podcast episodes talk about how the liver, which is this huge detoxifying organ in our body, it's the intermediary between our gut and the rest of our body. And a lot of times our nose and our sinuses and our, and our skin uh, quality, let alone a lot of other things, um, including BO, et cetera, all of those things are mediated by how well the liver can detox and just manage everything going on in the body. And when you're pregnant, the things that the liver has to manage just increases greatly. Blood volume in your body increases. Uh, you're, you're starting to create a new organ, which is your placenta. You are trying to methylate a lot more because you're having to methylate for the cells that are growing in your body. Um, and methylations, this, uh, it's a, it's a very specific term for sets of processes that happen in the liver, but they're, a, if you want to categorize them, I like to categorize them as detoxifying, uh, processes. That's not a hundred percent like descriptive of what methylation does and means, but it's a, it's a good general concept. And so if you've ever heard of methylation or heard this word tossed around, it's becoming more of a hot topic, hot word. And so all of that increases, that burden increases in your liver when you get pregnant. And so if your liver was either already not doing well, uh, which there are all those signs of it, when you look at your the gut skin connection, gut sinus connection, when your sinuses are clogged up and your skin's really bad and your BO's bad. I mean, if we just think of those three, three things right here that I've already mentioned, that is already a sign that like your liver is struggling. And this is not because you drink too much alcohol. There's way more things that can stress the liver. Please go check out those podcast episodes if you want to know more about that. This is not a liver episode, but reading your blood work will be able to give you insights into your liver. And it did for mine. And so I actually did a lot of stuff for my liver, like a lot of stuff. And I'm about to share that with you, with you guys. But seeing these three, even these first three things in my symptoms was like, wow, this is cool. This, I like really made changes in my body and this was not coincidental. This was not like 
oh, like, you know, doctors would be like, oh, it's just better. Good luck. I mean, congratulations. We were right. <laughs> like, no, I don't think if I, I think if I changed literally nothing, I have no reason to believe that the second pregnancy of mine would have been any different. It would have felt the same. Maybe, maybe I would have carried full term. I don't know. But I don't, I don't, it doesn't mean there makes no sense why I would randomly not have these symptoms anymore. And I'm grateful I didn't have them. So some other things, cravings. My first pregnancy, I craved vinegary things, uh, anything, not so much sour, it just seemed like puckery. So feta, kimchi, sauerkraut. I thought it was hilarious. Personally, it didn't bug me that much to have cravings. I really didn't like the sense of smell problem. On my second pregnancy, I've had zero cravings, none. Um, some of my, some of the things that I, I, I see a difference in maybe how hungry I am or types of foods that I want, but I'm not craving, not the way I did my first one. I'm like, why do I want an absurd amount of feta and kimchi? Makes no sense. So everyone wants to know, do you crave anything? I'm like, no, I'm boring, but you know, my liver's happier. <laughs> so I, that's all I can say about cravings. Fatigue in my first pregnancy, I had a lot of fatigue. My second pregnancy, I had a lot of fatigue. It's just a thing. You're just making a bajillion cells in your body. And there's all these processes going on. And it's happening nonstop. Like, you know, when you're sleeping, you're making a baby. When you're awake, you're making a baby. When you're eating, you're making a baby. When you're working, you're making a baby. You're just always making a baby. So I'm, I'm, that's been the same. Weight has been interesting. In my first pregnancy, I gained a lot of weight. Even after I had zero change in eating habits, I was really surprised. I basically blew up like a balloon and I immediately couldn't fit into my pants, which was really annoying. I actually wear pants quite loosely too because that's how I prefer them. And so there's a little bit of wiggle room if I gain weight and like I can still wear my pants, but it was just like I can't wear these, like not all of them, but a bunch of them I just could not wear comfortably and and it was so weird and I was working out and not not crazy, but probably the same amount I had been. Um, and and it was just really, I was like, and in my mind, in my first pregnancy, I was like, well, this is just what happens. This is what everyone says happens. You can gain a lot of weight for like no reason. And that's what I thought. In the second pregnancy, um, I've had no weight gain um, especially in the areas where I had it my first pregnancy, which was like hips, butt, thighs. Um, again, nothing wrong about gaining weight in that area, but I'm just noting a weird difference, like no, no weight gain in that area. Um, I definitely eat a lot more than I did my first pregnancy and I eat as much as I want. Um, a lot of that is like smoothies, peanut butter, grain-free bagels, goat cheese, honey, hot cocoa, um, like this like kind of it's hot cocoa that's made with some maple syrup and some healthy ingredients. Um, but I mean, it does have sugar in it. It's just hot cocoa. Um, so I've eaten pretty much as much as I want when I want, how I want. I, my appetite in my second pregnancy has been like, I feel hungry, but then I can feel satisfied when I eat in my first pregnancy, my appetite, I was definitely also hungrier, but I often really didn't feel satisfied it was a very uncomfortable, weird feeling. I remember eating lots of corn chips my first pregnancy um, or like tortilla, just like chips that were corn based, tortilla chips, things like that. Um, my second pregnancy and because of what I found after my first, I ha I'm not eating any grains. So I might eat things that are like cassava chips, but not a ton of those. I eat a lot more fats. So peanut butter, things that are coconut oil based, um, chocolate, 
things that are just like high fat content. Uh, lots, lots of fat. <laughs> it's pretty funny to me. Uh, I don't like avocados this pregnancy. I say I actually dislike avocados in this pregnancy. And that's maybe the one thing that I've like, like, I just don't want to eat it. It's super weird, but that's it for weight and appetite. Nausea, the classic nausea. So my first pregnancy, I threw up, uh, well, at least I was nauseated pretty much every day. It would be pretty random if it was in the morning or evening, afternoon. Um, I totally threw up like food, just threw up things. Um, my second pregnancy, I didn't, and I, and actually I was very nauseated almost immediately. It was like just a couple weeks into my pregnancy and I was nauseated. My second pregnancy actually freaked me out because I wasn't nauseated until probably week six, which I hear is actually, I've seen or heard or read that, that that's kind of more average that you don't get nauseated till week six. But I was like, that's not the case for my first pregnancy. I actually thought everyone got nauseated maybe immediately um, with my first pregnancy because I started doing some research because I wasn't getting nauseated. I was like, I'm totally pregnant. Everything like my basal body temperature, lack of period, like I'm pregnant, but I'm not nauseated. And it was going on for weeks and I was freaking myself out. Like, I'm, am I healthy? Do I have a good pregnancy? Part of me is like, I think this could be a good thing, but I'm kind of freaked out. And so once I started getting nauseated, I typically was just nauseated mainly in the morning. Um, I only threw up three times prior to week 11, which, and week 11 for me, I got COVID. (laughs) Um, And so that's its own story. Not, not for today. Um, Baby's totally fine. COVID was rather mild for me. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of creating a podcast episode on it, but it's not, doesn't quite fit into our series right now, but yep. Got COVID. I did throw up a lot more when I had COVID just probably, I think coughing really irritated everything. Um, but prior to that, you know, not a lot of only threw up three times. I only threw up liquid or empty stomach. I never threw up food. Uh, so I really was able to maintain my calories and, and all those things, all the good things you want with not throwing up food. (laughs) And so, nausea, there was definitely a difference, has been a difference. And of course, I didn't make it past eight weeks in my first pregnancy. So I don't know much else about that. But I can say like, I'm being in second trimester, I'm super randomly nauseated. I was actually nauseated for like, five minutes earlier today. It was really weird. Um, But most days I'm not nauseated at all at this point. Need to pee was another symptom that changed, which is really interesting and totally connects it to a specific thing I did in my health. I just didn't think I could guarantee to myself I wasn't going to need to pee in pregnancy. So in my first pregnancy, it was like immediately worse. I was barely pregnant. I was like, how do I need to pee more when there's no baby there? Um, That's of course when I learned that your kidneys are filtering more blood when you're pregnant. So that's part of what happens. You're just filtering more water out when you are pregnant. So um, I was like, oh, kidneys are functioning. Well, that's good, but I am peeing a lot more. (laughs) And so first pregnancy, it was so bad. It really disrupted my sleep. I would be up multiple times a night and I'm like, I can't do this for the rest of my pregnancy. I need to like sleep. Um, And I also got incontinence, which was so stupid to me because I actually work with, I mean, So I work with clients who have incontinence. I know a lot about incontinence. There's biochemical problems that can cue incontinence. 
There's um, physical, structural problems that can cue incontinence. I was evaluating myself on all fronts of like, what could be cueing this incontinence in me um, when I'm like just a few weeks pregnant? Remember, I didn't even make it past eight. So just super interesting. Never really figured it out. It did totally go away after I miscarried, which I was relieved. I'm like, whew, so this is not permanent. Um, at least not in, not in that way. It might happen again, but it's not permanent. Um, second pregnancy, I never have really gotten very bad with needing to pee. And there's a specific reason I'm going to connect to it in just a second when we talk about what I changed in my health. But that was phenomenal to me because I was like, great, I can sleep, I can work. I don't need to constantly pee. I probably peed exactly the same amount that I had been, which just was once in the morning, once in the afternoon, nothing crazy. Um, I was thrilled. <laughs> that was another thing that I was like, I did something in my health and it changed and it's better. Yay. And I also had no in- have had no incontinence problems, which has been really great. Uh, number 10, flatulence. This was interesting. So in my first pregnancy, I w- had a really hard time controlling gas. It would just like randomly come out. I'd scare myself. I had even no idea it was coming. My husband was like, can't, aren't you an adult? Can't you control that? <laughs> He's very sweet and kind, but, but that's kind of how he felt. So I was like, um, actually, no, I don't know why. Also, I'm leaking out, you know, I'm having incontinence problems. So don't ask me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Second pregnancy, uh, this one, I, it's been mostly controllable. Every now and again, I've scared myself like, oh dear. Um, and just being super honest, now you guys know maybe a lot more about me than you thought you wanted to know. But just to realize, like, I'm I'm a human. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you might think that I'm super something. Um, I'm lucky that I know what I know. I'm blessed that I've been able to do all that. I've done all these functional tests, but it's completely transferable. Anybody can see these changes and these improvements in their health, uh, which is why I've created Blood Lab Bootcamp to teach these things. But in the meantime flatulence is not a thing. Pelvic pain, that was another interesting thing. In my first pregnancy, I had very sharp and uncomfortable um, pains in my sacrum and in my pelvis, like in pelvic bowl. And I was like, look, I'm not even eight weeks. Why am I experiencing this? I remember sitting with some friends and like trying to like sit differently because my sacrum was so achy. And it was, I didn't know why. I was like, I don't even, I don't even have a baby bump. I have nothing. What's going on? So I, I just don't have a solution or an answer to that necessarily. But what I can say is in the second pregnancy, I have gotten a somewhat achy sacrum every now and again, but it can go away with with some specific techniques that I do. And then I've had achiness in my pelvis, which is relieved by stretching. And I think I really see that like so breathing deeply into the belly um, as the baby's been growing. I kind of get this um, just like sense honestly, almost of a stretch that's just j- vaguely achy. And just by doing some extension of the back and breathing into the belly, I'm kind of able to work with it and then feel better. Uh, number 12, guys, this is a lot. We're almost done here with, with difference in symptoms. But uh, number 12, libido. So in my first pregnancy, it was really bad. Basically, I got pregnant and immediately was not interested in sex. And that was hard. I think sex is really important to a healthy marriage. I enjoy having sex. I enjoy being with my husband in that way. And I just didn't want to have sex. And so sex actually sounded horrible. It's not just like, I'm not interested. I'm like, no, that no, I have to say no, that 
that's like the last thing I want to do on the planet right now. It was like up there with smelling raw foods that have been cut or something. Um, and that was actually, I cried about that after I miscarried um, because it was so stressful to me for two, for about two months. I felt, I actually told my husband, I felt like my arm got cut off, like, because there's just this part of me that I was used to always being there and it wasn't in like the weirdest way possible. Um, because I couldn't cognitively like make myself get there or anything. It was just gone. And I felt like, like my arm got cut off. And so I ended up crying about it later. It was like super traumatic in some ways. Um, yeah, like it was, it was, it was a grieving point. And then my second pregnancy, and again, maybe you guys don't want to know this. Maybe you should fast forward. <laughs> Nothing super graphic or anything, but sometimes the libido would be lower. Maybe like once a week, I'd be like, meh. Um, but usually I had normal levels of libido, um, which to me is like a healthy amount, very comfortable, nothing crazy, bad, crazy, crazy high, crazy low. Like I feel very, very comfortable with it. And that's been really great because I was genuinely nervous that that was like, there was like BO, bad acne and libido or something where those things I'm like, oh, if I get pregnant again and this happens, it's gonna be so rough. And it hasn't happened, which is really important. Another reason I really wanted to share that. Uh, sensitivity to touch. And that is things like in my first pregnancy, I don't remember thinking about this very much, but in my second, this second pregnancy, I haven't really wanted to be cuddled at night. Um, I just don't like pressure on my body as much, which is really interesting. I think it has to do with the fact that your, your blood volume increases 50% when you're pregnant. And I actually just like feel like overly pressurized some in my body sometimes. It's kind of cool though. I feel like it's created this positive effect in exercise. I don't get like lightheaded or anything um, the way I sometimes would before. And that's kind of fun. But I am a little bit more sensitive to touch. And lastly, pregnancy brain. Fun fact, it's been exactly the same in both pregnancies. Still still lose my train of thought. Still can't think clearly sometimes. Still have a hard time making decisions uh, harder than before. And that's the same. So let's talk a little bit. That that's everything. And I hope I hope you all are are encouraged. I know a lot of you have been pregnant, want to be pregnant, struggling to get pregnant. Um, you've had different experiences with pregnancy, and I really feel like the overall information out there from conventional doctors is just like we don't know what makes pregnancies different. There's not much you can really do. Just hope and pray, get some rest, exercise. Just like it's, it's so incredibly basic. And that was exactly what I was fed after miscarrying and even saying, how can I prevent this from happening? They're like, we don't know. I'm like, great. Why am I paying you? And so I paid myself. Actually, I didn't. There was no money exchange, but I basically paid myself. I <laughs> did it myself. I figured this out. And so asked for some blood work, asked for specific markers. Doctors do not uh, usually run. And here's what I found. I found two markers that were the key to everything. Uh, and again, these are two markers that are not usually run. And I do talk about them. I teach about what they mean, um, what they're relevant for in Blood Lab Bootcamp. 
So number one, high histamine. So you might have heard about histamine if you hear about like a histamine response to, um, you know, like a bee sting or allergies like claritins and antihistamine, um, acid reflux and stomach acid can be cued up by histamine. Histamine's like literally everywhere. Histamine and high estrogen are buddies. Um, histamine causes all sorts of problems, skin problems, sinus problems, depression, um, nausea, diarrhea. It's crazy. Um, and so we actually have a whole podcast episode on histamine. I don't have it, um, in front of me, I'm just remembering it as I'm speaking here. So I'll have my assistant put it in the show notes. But we do have even a whole episode on histamine. It's a fascinating little little bugger. But I was really surprised. I had sky high histamine. And by sky high, I mean the, the normal, the range, the standard range that was given on there. This is not functional. The standard range that was given by the doctor was zero to eight. And I was at 34. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's like four times what it should be. And my doctor just sends me this note like, looks like your histamine's high. That's it. Like, that's that's all she said was like, wait, uh, you're like, like I'm not going to take it, you're, but you're not even going to say, do you want to try an antihistamine? She didn't ask me anything. She wasn't like, hey, you're struggling with sinus problems? You're struggling with skin problems? I was like, look, lady, I don't know what's going on. Um, and actually, the funny thing is, is I have no allergies. Uh, I actually used to. I don't anymore healthy liver. Um, I don't have any problems with skin stuff, or at least at the time there was like no eczema, no rashes. I was genuinely surprised that I try to even think like the day that I got this histamine or this blood work taken, could there have been anything that caused high histamine? And I was just like, I don't know what's going on. There's other problems with, with high histamine in the body though. And there's other ways it can show up and, uh, both symptoms and just causes. And so I had to really think about what could be causing this high histamine? And I used everything in blood lab boot camp to triangulate what was going on. The other thing that really helped was something called homocysteine. And homocysteine, I had a low amount of it. And it basically pointed to I'm either methylating too fast or I have oxidative stress or maybe a little bit of both. And those two things. Now, if I had high histamine and high homocysteine, it would have been a very different story of what I thought was going on. There would be some more... Um, potentially genetic things, concerns, or potential like heavy metal concerns. There's a lot of that, you know, those potential things going on. But a high histamine and a low homocysteine is a different story. And that's what I teach in Blood Lab Bootcamp. And so I was like, okay, I've got this story. A couple other things that was interesting on my blood blood work, it wasn't the main key things that that told me what to do next, but I had a high reverse T3, which if you haven't listened to our thyroid podcast episode, it's just a few episodes back, um, listen to that episode, you'll learn what reverse T3 is. But that basically pointed to the fact that my body was converting T3 and it was turning it off into reverse T3. And that means a lot of times your adrenal glands are fatigued. So I had had a sense my adrenal, my adrenal health was poor. And then I had low T3, but good T4, which again pointed to probably healthy thyroid function as far as making thyroid hormone, but bad adrenal health. And so my T3 is getting depleted by it being converted into reverse T3. So I really wanted to know what could be causing oxidative stress in my body? What could be causing adrenal gland stress? Is there, you know, heavy metals, poor fat 
poor fat assimilation? Am I lacking key nutrients to make healthy cell membrane walls? That would create oxidative stress. Everything that I teach in Blood Lab Bootcamp, I'm just like, do, 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 down the list. And what I came up with is here's the functional test I want to do next to actually figure out what's going on. So I'm not guessing. So I did something called a Zoomer test. It's a deeper food sensitivity test than I'd done before. If you want to learn more about our food sensitivity tests and the best ones you can choose for yourself, listen to episode 59, how to choose the best sensitivity test for you. I checked for me, uh, I have a gluten-free diet, but I checked any wheat exposure to make sure that wasn't causing problems for me. I checked corn, which I'd never checked before, but I was suspicious. I know grains can be a huge problem and they're becoming more of a problem and an increasing number of people. So I was going to check corn. I checked other grains such as rice and barley and buckwheat um, and and quinoa and uh, oats. And then I checked lectins. And lectins are a protein found in some vegetables more than others. Uh, Tomatoes have a high amount, cucumbers, bell peppers, etc. And they're meant to be protective of, of the of the plant, but some people are more sensitive to either lectins in general or certain lectins of certain plants. Um, And then I also, with that same food sensitivity test, I included a free test on my neural markers for inflammation and immune activation. And I learned some interesting things there. I did something called an HTMA test, which is a heavy metal test and mineral balance test. And I found out that I had problems with four, something called four lows, which is a state of depletion of your minerals, which is, it's not necessarily easy um, to undo. I wasn't super low in it. It looks like I was healing from probably a deeper four lows pro- state, but I knew, okay, now I'm going to make some intentional changes in my mineral intake. Um, and I had signs of hitting copper toxicity. And then on my, I did a test on my hormones called the Dutch test. And this is my second time doing this test. Uh, the first one was in May 2020, and the second one is June 2021. So what I found in these tests, just as a quick recap, one, I found some wheat exposure, but very minimum. So it looks like for the most part, I was staying uh, gluten-free um, without any con- contamination, too much contamination problems. Um, I had a huge corn sensitivity. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, I had rice sensitivity, not as red and mean, but enough that you don't want to you don't want to eat that rice. It's not helping your body. It's hurting it. Whenever you have a food sensitivity, it hurts your gut. Uh, it damages your immune system. It raises all your inflammatory markers. You don't sleep as well. It can damage your brain. All sorts of stuff. Um, I got an update on my leaky gut. It was still leaky, and I was like, "Well, <laughs> with that corn and that rice that I'm eating every day because I'm gluten free, yes, I'm still going to have a leaky gut problem." So I was like, I definitely have to get rid of the corn and the rice. Um, I found out I had blood brain barrier damage and I I probably could have guessed that, but I found out I had a lot of it. (laughs) I actually saw the numbers. I was like, oh, that's a lot of blood brain barrier damage. And you can heal your blood brain barrier. um, But a lot of times leaky gut leads to what they call leaky brain. And I was like, I really have to get those grains out of my diet I also took and knew that I could take some other steps to help heal my brain and blood-brain barrier. I had elevated markers for demyelination uh, disorders and optical slash um, autonomic nervous system disorders. I 
in my hormone test, I found out I had much better progesterone from the first time I took the test. The first time I took the test, I had progesterone levels that were at the level of someone who was postmenopausal, very low, very, very low. And that caused, that happens with toxicity and inflammation. And that was before I dealt with the parasite in my body. And then this time my progesterone's in healthy range, like really strong, good, like not even borderline low, like strong, awesome. However, my estrogen was low and that's a sign of depletion in the body. It can be caused by a whole host of problems um, or or causes. Um, Testosterone was borderline low, which for women is adrenal gland function directly connected. Uh, I had signs of moderate adrenal fatigue, better than my first test that I did in the Dutch test, but second test, still still some there. I was deficient in something called glutathione, which is a liver detox thing. So I'm like, oh, liver, liver, liver. Like I'm really seeing connections from my blood work to these functional labs. And then I had a possibly slow comp gene for methylation. And that was still like, okay, I want to support my liver so that I can methylate as good as possible so that my high histamine can come down and so that um, I don't have as much toxicity and toxins in my body. So what I changed, first off, my goal was a minimum of three months of sustained change before even trying to get pregnant. I achieved that goal. We were um, pregnant or I was not pregnant for seven months between the miscarriage and getting pregnant or actually between the changes I made and getting pregnant again, excuse me. So I made changes in March and then I got pregnant in September. Um, I went on a grain-free diet. So no more rice and corn. I did the starting in March. Um, I, I just got rid of everything, even though oats, for example, were in the green for me because it just wasn't worth eating something that could potentially have molecular mimicry and look similar and just cause other problems. So I'm like, we're just going to cut out all grains for now to get my inflammation down as quickly as possible. Ate lots of nuts instead. So many nuts, guys. So my fat intake just skyrocketed um, after going grain-free. And then sodium and potassium intake. So I found out that I was uh, really, really needed to boost my sodium and potassium. um, And that was huge for me. Sodium and potassium are part of how you regulate your blood volume. I think it's the the reason why I don't have this huge need to pee um, all the time in in my pregnancy. I think it'll happen third trimester because the baby's just going to be sitting on my bladder, but at least I'm not having a biochemical problem on top of this. And so really boosted my sodium and potassium levels. I did not train for a marathon or triathlon which I do about every summer, either either a marathon or triathlon. I've done every summer for the past several years. And because of my adrenal fatigue, I just decided, you know what? It's not that exercise is bad or it's inherently going to damage your adrenal glands, but I'm my I'm training for pregnancy and for me this felt like a good thing. I still exercised. I swam, I walked, I did yoga. Um I focused on really gentle exercises or things that were short bursts, really lightweight. Um I was not muscle building, I was not stamina building, nothing nothing extreme. Um, fun fact, I still lost weight in that time in a healthy way um, while exercising less and eating more. And I really see that as a correlation of when you cut out things that are inherently inflammatory for you, it you just your body is so much more efficient in in how it uses energy. 
I supported my liver through a variety of things. I gave myself liposomal glutathione, alpha lipoic acid, taurine, and something called phosphatidylcholine, which is, uh, if you've heard of choline, which you need in pregnancy, the reason you need choline in pregnancy is because choline becomes, through the functioning of the liver, through liver methylation, choline becomes phosphatidylcholine. And phosphatidylcholine is used to create healthy cell membrane walls. If you don't have healthy cell membrane walls, uh, the cells can die more easily. They can be, be like kind of numb to thyroid uh, hormone passing by. They can oxidize really quickly or really easily. You want really healthy cell walls. Um, my husband and I both did um, a protocol for getting rid of H. pylori called Matula T because we realized that I had taken Matula T, but we had never taken it together. And if you're kissing someone who has H. pylori and we knew my husband had it, um, and I just had, I actually, I, I went through all of his files and like all of his files. And if you think this podcast episode is long, it took even longer to for me to go through his files and my files, all the data we had on both of us and do this lab testing and then create protocols for myself. Like I treated myself like a real client and I've gotten results like a real client. It's been great. Um, and so that was really awesome. Uh, he and I both had ended up getting die off symptoms, which I was like, yeah, we got to kill this thing. Um, so it wasn't huge. It wasn't the main thing causing all my problem, all my symptoms. Um, but I was like, I don't want to have H pylori and be pregnant. That's not fun. I want to have good stomach acid levels. I had some signs in my blood work that I was still low on stomach acid. And I was like, you know, I don't want that to be a thing. I took some supplements to help with my leaky brains, uh, specifically something called magnesium threonate and then uh, acetyl L-carnitine to help with rebuilding my cell walls. And I took re-up some supplements I used to help rebuild my gut lining. So changes, I was seeing changes in my health before I got pregnant. And my goal at this point was not pregnancy. My goal was healthiness. And that would, of course, lead to a healthy pregnancy. So I saw my energy go higher and more consistent than it had ever in my life. And prior to my miscarriage, if you asked me if I thought I could get healthier, I probably would have said like, yeah, maybe, but not by much. Like I really felt healthy before. Um, in 2020, I felt so healthy. And in 2021, after the miscarriage and when I started all this, I felt even healthier. It was just incredible. My mood was higher and more consistent. I lost some weight, but I was able to eat as much as I wanted. Um, and it was, it, was, it was healthy weight. It was totally fine. Um, I had improved memory, focus, and cognition. Um, I still did get pregnancy brain, as I mentioned, but prior to that, it was good. I had a higher basal body temperature, and that is the a woman's body temperature in the morning before she gets up. And this often, if it's low, often relates to thyroid functionality and just overall metabolism. And so I knew that I had that low T3 probably due to high T4. Um, or high reverse T3. And so just seeing that pop up was, was really awesome. And I was much more cold resistant or just generally had like a, a higher sense of being warm. And just all this from that, that to those two markers, histamine and homocysteine, plus some other markers like trick, you know, sprinkled in um, that really pointed out stuff. I had a lot of markers that looked really normal in my blood work. Um, my cholesterol markers were pretty normal. Um, a lot of things in my comprehensive metabolic 
panel looked normal, though not everything. Um, my thyroid definitely looked a little bit wonkier, but that was mainly the reverse T3. And so now I have new goals for 2020. And I know y'all have goals. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you want something new in your body. You want something new in your life. And that's why I am launching Blood Lab Bootcamp starting January 5th at the beginning of the new year. New year, new you. It's the perfect time to focus on your health. You don't have to focus on Christmas or anything else. It's all about you. And so learning what you can do, how do you get blood, new blood markers, using old blood markers that you have, um, learning and, and just being able to move forward. We help you do everything from getting your blood markers to evaluating them to making your next steps. And I even have live coaching calls with me where you get to bring in your blood markers and your evaluation and say, hey, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything else you would recommend? Or, um, you know, this is my evaluation. Do you, what's your feedback? And you can be a part of a learning process and other women who are going to be taking this course. And so... I'm so excited um, so that for this course so that you can achieve your health goals in 2022. You don't have to be stuck. And my health goals for 2022, just so you all know, and because I think it's so fun to share, is number one, I want to give birth at home, if at all possible. So low-risk birth, as long as everything goes well, we're looking for, for a midwife to help us give birth at home. Uh, using natural birthing techniques. I want to, number two, give myself a minimum of six weeks of full maternity leave. Uh, I'm still deciding if I'm going to be creating podcast episodes during those six weeks. I think I'd like to. Um, and we do have some podcast episodes already recorded that would be really fit that time really well. So don't worry. We're still going to be here. We're going to still be helping you. My whole team is going to be supporting all of our clients. Uh, we are not stopping for those weeks, um, but I will be stopping. <laughs> I'll be stopping at least to focus on uh, my new baby and give my body time to heal. So that's goal number two. And goal number three is I want to learn what it means to give life to another human. And that is totally new. That's like breastfeeding and how my diet impacts my child and how they sleep and asking for help if problems arrive like latching or pelvic floor healing. Like I am so ready to invite other people into my journey. This is not like the Allison show where I think I know everything and I don't, I don't get help. Like I'm encouraging y'all get help, uh, work with me one-to-one in our foundations program or get blood lab boot camp or whatever it is, like get help. Don't just, you know, sit on the sidelines and keep listening and reading and, and, sitting on the sidelines doesn't do much. It just makes your head really big and confused. But moving forward gets you traction. Moving forward gets you answers and experiences and progress. And so I want to invite you, if you have not considered, if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, I want to invite you, join Blood Lab Bootcamp. Join our wait list. You can go to betterbellytherapies.com slash blood. And that is going to take you to our wait list. Our wait list is going to be the first place where you're going to hear hear about Blood Lab Bootcamp opening. You're going to have access to some fun offers on there. And it's just going to be the best place where you can make sure you don't miss out on this course opening. It's only going to be open for a week, January 5th to 12th. And then it's going to close again. And so I want to see you in there. I want to see your blood work. I want to see 
hope in your life again and in your mind and in your future of seeing what you can do in your health and that there actually are things you can do and that your doctor's wrong. Your blood work actually does show you signs of where you can do see improvement. And that's what I did in my life. That's the thing that happened to me. My doctor literally told me everything looks fine. And I took that same information she was looking at and did all of this. I did all of this episode and all of the last seven months and, and pregnancy and all of that. And now I'm in my 15th week of pregnancy. And that's what I want for you, whether it's pregnancy or some other goal for you that you would be able to achieve that in 2022. So head over on to betterbellytherapies.com slash blood or click the link in the show notes, join the wait list, and I cannot wait to see you in Blood Lab Bootcamp. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you love this episode. I know it took a lot out of me and I really hope it encouraged you. If you love this episode and you have not checked out our older episodes, I would strongly encourage you to go scroll through those. If you've heard, I dropped a lot of our old episodes in this in this podcast uh, in this specific podcast episode and there's even more behind that you will hopefully and probably find fascinating and we have even more coming down the line so subscribe so you never miss a beat and if you thought of a friend while you were listening to this maybe a friend who's trying to get pregnant or has gone through some miscarriages of her own I would encourage you to take a screenshot and share this with a friend I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say oh I know someone who needs you. And so send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. Quick shout out to PhotoLove99. You shared a wonderful testimonial here in review. You said that Allison Jordan and the Better Belly podcast is the best kept secret in functional health. I was hooked after listening to episode one. I've struggled with severe environmental illness for the past 10 years and I've seen some of the best doctors in the country. They each gave me a piece of the puzzle, but no one's been able to put all the puzzle pieces together. There's so much conflicting and confusing information out there and I've been searching high and low for the most effective therapies. Alison is the first person I have found that put all the puzzle pieces together. Her teaching style is so relatable and down to earth and her authenticity comes through loud and clear. If you found this podcast, then lucky you. I'm going to tell all of my friends about it. Well, thanks so much, PhotoLove99. I love hearing that. I'm so encouraged and it's so exciting to hear that this has been a podcast that's really brought things together for you. And that's what we want for all of our listeners. Other ways you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And as a reminder, our motto, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. <laughs>